Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I am Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you will hear our passion for the gospel and people's need to hear it, and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus Christ can bring. Today, we're going to continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's begin our time today. We're going to be in Matthew 15 today. We're working our way through Matthew. And this morning, I'm going to take another kind of large chunk. And uh, so I'm not going to read through it beforehand, but I will read as we go through. So you might turn to your Bibles or turn on your phone. The verses will be up on the screen. But we're going to uh, be in Matthew 15. And uh, so let's, let me begin with prayer and then we'll continue on from there. God, I thank you uh, once again that you are just uh, a great God. And God, we do thank you for the old rugged cross um, where... Our sin was placed on you, and your righteousness was imputed to us. And so, God, I pray that you would you would teach us about that this morning, and what it really means to follow after you, and what's needed. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us today, and I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, if we are thinking about the New Testament, and we think about how we, what, what the, where the story is at, we might want to go back in time a little bit to the Babylonian exile. We had preached, I had preached through Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai and most of Zechariah. I haven't gotten through that yet. But there were 70 years that the people of Israel were in Babylon because they had been idolaters. And God says, we're not going to have that. And they come out of this, this exile and they find the law. And Ezra reads it and people begin to apply it to their life and they realize this is something that we need incorporated into our life. And so they, they begin to incorporate God's Word into how they live everyday life. But the teachers and the leaders began to examine the law and say, how is this um, applied in all aspects of our life? How are we supposed to do that? And so they, they began to understand that they cannot break God's law. They may go back into exile again. And so what can we do in order to make sure that law isn't broken? So they began to make other rules in order to keep from the law of God being broken. So, for example, in Exodus 16.29, it says, Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. Now, this was, this was for the wilderness regarding manna. If you're familiar with the story, the manna came and for six days they were to gather. On the sixth day they were supposed to gather twice, but on the seventh day they were not to go out and gather manna. It's a simple rule. 
and it makes simple sense. But the religious leaders that in the time after the exile said, well, what that means <laughs> is that you can't carry any load on the Sabbath. So that was a rule they put in place. No burden carried. No load carried on the Sabbath in order to make sure that the Sabbath law wasn't broke. So if you were a person who you, ha- you owned a home and you were doing well, but there was a poor person you wanted to help on the Sabbath, you were kind of hamstrung. You could not take a loaf of bread and take it out of your house and go take it to a poor person because if you passed the barrier of your door, you were carrying a load on the Sabbath. And if the poor person said, if you said, hey, poor person, I've got something for you, they couldn't come into the house because if they left, came into that house and grabbed the bread, then they were carrying a burden. So what to do with this? Well, the elders and leaders had all these rules and they said, here's what you do. If you're a person who owns a house and you wanted to get person a poor, you stand at your door, but don't cross it, and you can reach out and give it to the poor person. Or the poor person can reach in and you can place it in their hands. And that way, neither one would cross the barrier of the door and then that rule, the tradition of the elders would be satisfied. Now you take that level of detail and all the minutiae that's required in that one statement and apply it to the law. All 618 commands that the God gives that God gives in the law and you begin to understand the burden that people had. Now all these oral traditions, these these rules that the people made, they were they were oral rules that were passed down generation to generation until AD 20 or AD 8200 they were captured in a book called the Mishnah. And it's the oral tradition of the elders. Now in, in Jesus' time, it wasn't written down in a book, but these oral traditions were known. And the Pharisees and scribes were experts at the Mishnah. And here's what they said. They, they, they believed that the Mishnah, these, these rules, were a fence around the law. Picture the law that cannot be broken. And they said, what we're going to do is place this fence around the law, so if we follow that fence... If we do really good to obey the fence, then we know we won't break the law. So God's law says, don't take my name in vain. And they said, well, we're going to make a fence that says, don't use his name at all. Well, that's not what God said, but that's how they live and still do. God says, remember the the Sabbath and keep it holy and rest on that day. And they said, well, we're going to make a fence that's got all these details so that we can make sure we hold on to that. And what we find is that they, they, this fence actually then became very important in their life. These rules, these religious rites, these ceremonies and details, that became their religion. And they said, or they kind of thought anyway, that if you follow that, then you are really following God's law. And what we're going to find out today is that they are sorely mistaken. That this is not 
what really is the deal. Now, before we condemn these hypocritical Pharisees, (laughs) we should probably take a look in the mirror. Because we have probably all kinds of traditions and preferences that we place in our lives and attempt to place on other people's lives that say, if you follow this, then you're going to really follow the Lord. And really, if we took a look at those, perhaps that's not biblical. Those traditions may not be exactly what it means to follow after the Lord. And so that's what we're going to see today. When, when we want to find the key to following Jesus, we first find that following Jesus is not about religious traditions. Following Jesus is not about religious traditions. Let's look in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 15. It says, Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. So we last encountered Jesus at Gesenaret. That is, on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, far, far north. If you've got your little Bible maps in the back, you can look at that maybe later. But you'll see that Jerusalem's closer to the Dead Sea down south. But Jesus is doing work up by the Sea of Galilee. And these, these scribes and Pharisees, they decide to travel all the way up there, not to do a pastoral visit, not to see how people are doing up there, which they probably should have been doing. They were there to accuse Jesus. Now they do that under the mask of accusing his followers, but they they are accusing him. They've heard the news about Jesus. They heard that he, he eats grain on the Sabbath. Remember that story just a few chapters ago? He heals people on the Sabbath. He is breaking our rules. So they come up and they say, well, we heard and we see that your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, let me just say, this is not to do with hygienic stuff. All right, wash your hands before you eat. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. Don't go home. I'm glad the kids aren't in here. Well, you know, and saying, Pastor said we don't have to wash my hands before I eat. That's not what he's saying, okay? This is talking about a ceremonial washing of the hands, is what he is talking about. The Mishnah that we talk about, these oral commands or oral rules that came down, they had a whole, it has a whole section called Yadim, which is Hebrew for hands. And there was all kinds of rituals and ceremonies and stuff about how to clean your hands so that the defilement of this world would not accidentally be transferred to the food and then you eat the food and then you become ceremonially defiled. That was their concern. And they accused Jesus' followers of not doing that. And what they're saying is, Hey, Rabbi, your followers aren't doing this because you're not teaching them to do this. And they're accusing Jesus of being a bad rabbi and one who promotes defilement among his followers. That's the accusation here. He had the audacity to break the tradition of the elders. And they weren't happy with that. These had been rules for a very long time. This is what it meant to be Jewish. 
this need to follow this fence of rules so that we ensure that we're following the command of God. Does anyone know why bubblegum is pink? Anyone know why? So, in 1928, there was a guy by the name of, I'm going to get his name right, Walter Dimer. He was an accountant at the Fleer Chewing Gum Company. And he had, I don't know why the accountant was working with recipes, but he was working with recipes about bubble, uh, about chewing gum, and he accidentally stumbled on a recipe that was more, it was less sticky than other chewing gums, and it was more stretchy, more elastic than other chewing gums. And he found that you could eat it and blow bubbles. And so he said, I need to make this a certain color. Gotta add some flair to it. So he started looking around the factory, and there was only one color available in the factory. Guess what color that was? It was pink. So, pink has become almost a trademark of bubblegum. If you go buy bubblegum, it'll be pink. Why? Because it was the only thing available that day. Not because it has to be. And the point is this. When we hold on to a tradition... It's probably wise to look at that tradition and say, why do we do this? What is the deal with that? Following Jesus is not about how strict we follow certain religious traditions. Now, if you follow Jesus, there's things we, we should do. There's things we must do. But those things don't make us followers of Jesus. You follow what I'm saying? If you want to follow Jesus, you should gather together regularly with other believers to worship. Scripture says that's what we should do. But gathering together for worship does not make you a follower of Jesus. You see what I'm saying? A follower of Jesus should read their Bible. They should spend time praying and talking with the Lord. They should spend time serving after the Lord. But reading the Bible and praying and serving does not make you a follower of Christ. Following Christ is not about how strict the religious rules are and if you follow them. So the quick question here is, do we place, do you place any religious activity above your relationship with the Lord? That... I may not follow the Lord through the week, but as long as I'm doing this, then I'm a follower of the Lord. See, that's religious activity, trusting in that instead of surrendering to the Lord. Following after Jesus is not about religious tradition. Following, about, following Jesus is about living in righteousness. Now follow me on this, because you're saying, you might be saying, well, you just said I couldn't earn it, and now you're saying I'm earning it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you have to be righteous in order to follow the Lord. But we can't be righteous. That's what I'm saying. Let's look in verse 3 through 9. He answered and said to him, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God, he is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this you invalidated the word of God for the sake 
of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Jesus doesn't answer their question. And in classic Jesus style, they ask him a question and he asks them a question back. And he says, why are you breaking God's law for the sake of following your rules? Because they had a particular rule. When we read Mark's version of this story, he calls it Corbin. And it was to say that if somebody was living life and they wanted to give their their possessions to the Lord when they died, they could say, God, I'm going to give you all my possessions when I die. And then he could not use that for anything else. He could live off that, but he couldn't give it away to anyone. It was this rule that they had. So an aging parent who needs some help might come to the son and say, Hey son, your mom and I are kind of hurting financially. You're doing pretty well. Could you help us out a little bit? And the son would say, Mom and Dad, I love you, but I promise that all my money's going to go to the Lord when I die. So I can't help you, but good luck, Pops. You know, hope, hope you guys make it. <laughs> and it's just ridiculous. We see the inconsistency there. But what the Pharisee said was this, that the vow to give everything to the Lord was to honor the Lord. So it's the greater rule where God's command said honor the parents and the honor is just going to humans. They're just parents. So the, the tradition of the elders is the greater rule. And, and Jesus makes this harsh comparison here in verses 5 and 6. He says, God said, honor your father and mother. But you say, he doesn't have to. That is the, the real contrast there. So following the tradition of men actually broke the commandment of God. It didn't help them keep God's commandment. By following after this tradition, this fence around the law actually broke the law of God. God is crystal clear what He holds precious and important. In Exodus 20.12, when God is giving the law to, to Moses, He says, the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. It's repeated in Deuteronomy 5. And then to make it crystal clear, He said in Exodus 21.17 and Leviticus 29, that if you even speak against your parents, that child should deserve death. Any of those verses painted on home at your home wall, right? Maybe <laughs> paint. If, you know, we got these verses on the wall. I bet that one. I bet Exodus twenty-one seven isn't. If a child just speaks against the parent, they deserve death. That's probably not the message we want to send to our kids. But anyway, we may want to put it up there, but that's not something we should do. See, God doesn't want any confusion in this matter. We are to take care of our parents. They are to be provided for. We are to honor them. There is no confusion about that. Jesus is not saying that in spite of you following your tradition, you somehow broke the commandment. He's saying because you follow the tradition, you break the law of God. 
That is worth considering. It's worth thinking about, is our religious practice, our traditions, our preferences, are they for us, or are they and, and breaking the law, or are they actually honoring the Lord? And then Jesus quotes Isaiah 29.13, and he says, listen, these people say a lot of good things about the Lord. They say good things, they sound like good people, but their heart is far from me. Now, when the Scripture talks about the heart, they're not talking about our aortic pump. It's not speaking about the center of emotion that we kind of think the heart is. He, when when the, the biblical authors, both Old Testament and New Testament, when they speak of the heart, they are talking about the very core of who you are. The biblical authors think the heart is the very essence of who you are. And he says, man, they are nice words that they speak, but they are they're at the core of who they are. They are separate from me. The truth of the matter is this, and he's teaching us, I believe this here, that in our natural state, there is a chasm between us and the Lord. That we cannot get, we can't span that gap. Simply talking religious talk will not cross that gap. Saying good things or trying to do good things will not span that gap. Our worship is in vain, he tells us, because they teach the doctrine, teaching, the teachings of men are taught like doctrines of God, and they are not. And it makes the heart live far away from God. And what we need, then, is a heart change. In, in 2020, there was a study done by the culture, um, the, the Cultural Research Center of Arizona Christian University. And, and in this study, there were 2,000 people who participated in this study. And they were asked questions about what does it mean to be a Christian? What do they believe? And so there was 52% of these people who identified themselves as Christian. They said that they held to a works-oriented means to win God's approval. Over half... Get, get it? Over half said, if I want to please God, i got to work harder at righteousness. The problem is you can't. <laughs> In and of ourselves, we can't. They might call themselves Christian, but they are truly not. Almost half of the people surveyed said that if a person was generally good or does enough good things in their life, they will earn a place in heaven. They believe their righteousness could save them. But they are just like what Isaiah said. The people honor me with their lips. They might be saying good things. They might say they follow after the Lord. But their heart is far from Jesus. If they're depending upon righteous works, they can't get there. Maybe some of someone here today thinks the same way. Maybe you're thinking, my good works are going to earn me a place in heaven with the Father. You are hoping and betting your eternal destiny on the fact that your good might outweigh your bad when you stand before the Lord. And that you will say, at the end, God will say, well, you did a lot of good stuff and that wipes out the bad. And so, you're in. And I'm here to tell you today, that's not going to work. It doesn't happen that way. 
The scripture says our most righteous works that we can muster from our corrupted heart are like filthy rags to God. We cannot earn our way into heaven. Without Christ in our life, and we're just like the Pharisees that honor them, honor him with our lips. But at our very essence of who we are, we are far, far away from God. So we've got a problem. We can't earn our way by following religious rites. You cannot come to church enough to win God's approval. Get what I'm saying? You can't read your Bible enough to to earn God's approval. You can't give to the poor enough. You can't, you know, try to keep the curse words down enough. You can't, there's nothing you can do to earn that salvation. But following after Christ requires living in righteousness. And we can't be righteous. So we got a problem. And that's why the key to following Jesus is a changed heart. That is the key. It is a changed heart. Let's read the last part of this passage. Now it's 10, 10 11 verses, and there's a lot in here, but let's, let's look at them. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. This, it is, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? And he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything goes into the mouth, passes into the stomach, and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Jesus talks to the crowd. He says, crowd, the Pharisees are thinking wrongly about this. They think, this is what the Pharisees thought. They thought they were pure. They'd been ceremonially clean. They were pure. They were good. They were righteous. But they had to wash their hands so that accidentally the the defilement of this world would not accidentally come and somehow defile them and they become unclean. They had to wash because this world is is a dirty, defiled, sinful world and so we got to make sure that none of that touches me because I am pure and right and good. But the problem is they weren't pure. The problem, and Jesus is telling them this here, is that defilement isn't something we contract by accidentally touching something of the world. That's not how we're defiled. Our defilement comes from the very core of who we are. Our defilement comes from deep within us, at our essence. Jesus is telling us we're defiled. 
When, when evil source then is tracked down to the deep root of our heart, then what comes out of us reveals that defilement. And so he gives us a picture of what that looks like. And it says, and then he begins by saying, evil thoughts. Because we are corrupted at our very core, we have evil thoughts. And from those evil thoughts produce all kinds of actions, law-breaking actions, in fact. He says, and these are all in plural. All these are listed in the original language as plurals, which shows the vast corruption we are all capable of. These evil thoughts help us to plot murders, breaking the sixth commandment. It ignites us to to commit adulteries and fornications, breaking the seventh commandment. It helps us strategize on how to steal things from other people, thefts, breaking the eighth commandment. It helps us rationalize lying in court and lying about other people, giving false witnesses, breaking the ninth commandment. So we have broken in this passage, the Scripture says, the Fifth Commandment, the Sixth Commandment, the Seventh Commandment, the Eighth Commandment, the Ninth Commandment. Half the commandments are already broken here because of our evil, corrupted, defiled core. And then he says slanders, which is probably better translated blasphemies, which maybe some of your translations might say. In essence, they're evil words that come from our evil thoughts. See, he is saying that we don't need a better ritual. We don't need something more strict to follow. Each and every person's desperate need is transformation of our core that only Jesus can provide. We need to be regenerated and renewed and and forgiven. That is how we are not defiled. So the Pharisees, you know, the the snowflakes that the Pharisees were, (laughs) were offended. The disciples said, Jesus, those Pharisees didn't like what you said. And Jesus says, oh no, well I got to go apologize and make sure they feel okay. And and try to live the way they want me to live. Is that what he said? No, he did not. He said, leave them alone. He says they're going to be ripped up by the root and thrown away. He compares them really to the wheat and the tares. Remember the story a few weeks ago, a few months ago, about the wheat and the tares. They're going to be ripped up and thrown away. They're like those tares. There, there is no future for their rules, their tradition. There's, it's not going to survive. Any, any teaching, any, any kind of, of, system of thought or or way of living that is not in line with the Word of God is not going to survive. It's going to be ripped up and thrown away. He says, leave them alone. These kind of teachers will never bring you closer to the Lord. Listen, being a strict legalist will not bring you closer to the Lord. In fact, it might be breaking God's law. He says, they're not going to bring you closer to the Lord. In fact, they're like blind guides of the blind. Picture, if you will, one of those driving tours, right? At Black Canyon. And a bunch of blind people get in, 
to go see the Black Canyon. Okay, think through that. And then, and the driver says, I love being around blind people, I'm blind too. And they take off down the road. This is what Jesus is saying. They don't know the danger that they're going to await, but we all know they're going to end up in a ditch, in a pit. Because the blind really cannot lead the blind, Jesus says. And when someone seeking after the Lord wants to follow after Jesus, and they, they look to a Pharisee or religious rites or traditions to say that is what it means to follow after the Lord, they are in this danger, this dangerous position where they'll end up in the pit. Leave them alone. That's what Jesus said. Is at this point, Peter needs some clarification. Because I think Peter's like, I think I just heard the Lord say I could eat bacon. Is I think what Peter's going through Peter's mind. And in fact, when we read Mark's version of the story, Mark says in a parenthetical statement, he says, by saying this, Jesus said all foods are clean. And Peter does get this message in Acts 10 when God is trying to show him Cornelius can be saved. And so he, it's, it's the idea that yes, all foods can be clean, but what the bigger story is, is that Jesus can cleanse anyone. And so, Peter wants some clarification. And so Jesus clarifies. He says, we take food and we eat it, and it goes into our stomach. He says, you know, God's created this incredible, efficient power plant called the human body, right? We eat something, we digest it, the good comes from, from it, and then the bad is eliminated, okay? In fact, it, when he says elimination there, it's literally in the Greek, thrown into the latrine. That's all I'll go, but that's what it's saying, right? We all know. We eat, we digest we eliminate good food, bad food, clean food, unclean food. The body does its work and it has nothing to do with our defilement. Jesus said, instead, our defilement is found within. Our defilement is found within. It's not food that defiles men. It's all this, this, these law-breaking Easily, we just kind of, it just kind of pours out of us. The evil thoughts, the evil actions, the evil words, everything we say, everything we think, we do, and we say without Christ is coming from a corrupted core. We need a new heart. If we want to follow Jesus, we need our defilement washed away. And praise God, that's why Jesus came. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Look in, in 1 Corinthians 6. Listen to this passage, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, or idolaters, or adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but, look what it says, you were washed, you were sanctified, 
And you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ in the spirit of our Lord. We were, our defilement was washed. We were set apart for God's use and declared innocent because of Jesus Christ. That is, that is the good news. We were all lawbreakers. No amount of hand washing or religious practice could have saved us. And maybe again today, you're trying to do that. Maybe you are trying to work your way into heaven, trying to do good things, trying to do righteous works. And the problem is you have none. But through Jesus' work on the cross, we are given His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might receive the righteousness of God in Him. It's the great cosmic trade, right? Jesus Christ took our sin, our evil thoughts, our evil actions, our evil our evil words, and it was nailed to Him on the cross and the wrath of God rained down judgment upon our sin when it was on Christ. And the trade we get is that His righteousness is injected into our account. We have His righteousness when we trust in Him. Every one of you walked into this room today and then you sat down. You, ha- you were trusting in your legs' work, right? And some of you might have had less trust in your legs than others, but we all were trusting in our legs. And then you transferred your trust to the pew. And your legs are no longer holding you up, the pew is. See, that's faith. Did anyone come in and test that pew and see, is that going to hold me? I don't think anyone did that. You came in and you just said, this pew is going to hold me, and you fell down. That is the equivalent of what we do. We, in our, in our sinful self before Christ, we are trying to win God's approval. And when we place our faith with Christ, we're saying, I'm done trusting my works. I'm going to rest only in Jesus Christ and what He did for us on the cross. And so we cry out to God to be cleansed. By the blood of Jesus. Look in Psalm 51, verse 7 and 10. We cry out to Him, Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart. I want my core to be clean, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And you know what the good news is? The Scripture says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We call out to Him. You cannot follow Jesus without a changed heart. Not a heart that you've changed. You can't turn over a new leaf. You can't turn your life around. It's got to be Christ bringing you from death to life at the core of who you are. And you know what? God wants to wash your defilement away. Look in Jeremiah 33. Last verse I'm going to share with you today. Jeremiah 33.8 I will cleanse them. Isn't this good? I will cleanse them from, look at the word, all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me and by which they have transgressed me. He wants to wash our defilement away. Ask Christ into your life today. I'm going to have you bow your heads. 
Is there anyone here, just to answer this in the silence of your heart, is there anyone here trying to work their way to Jesus? You're trying to do more and more good so God would be pleased with you and let you come into heaven. That is, religious works. Yes, we want to please the Lord, but not to earn salvation, but to say thank you for the forgiveness. Maybe there's someone here who talks a good game, honors God with their lips, but at the core of who they are is far away from the Lord. Today, I just say, trust in Christ. He took your sin, died for it, so that we could have the righteousness of God in Him. Heavenly Father, I come to You and ask that You would work in our our hearts and our minds. God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know You, God, I pray that they would stop playing around, that they'd stop uh, trusting in what they're doing, and God, just look to the cross and praise You for the blood of Jesus and say, wash me so I can be white as snow and cleanse my heart and erase my defilement. Create in me a new heart. God, if there's a believer today who has forgotten that our relationship is not sustained by what we do. Galatians says we didn't start. We started by the Holy Spirit. We're not going to continue by good works. We're going to continue in the Spirit. Free us from legalism. Free us from the burden of religious rites and rituals. And God, let us just bask in who you are. That would respond. We would respond in worship, in obedience, in knowing you more, in talking to you more, not to earn anything, but God, just simply because we love you and want to know more about you and want to grow grow closer to you. God, speak to our hearts today. And God, whatever you need to do in our life, God, either convict us or encourage us or strengthen us or or move us closer to you, however it is that you want to work Give us the courage to surrender that part of our life to you and to follow after you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 1045 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.